Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. Today, you're tuning in for our annual summer series at the movies, where we explore the spiritual truth behind some of Hollywood's biggest hits. From Hamilton to Just Mercy to Ford versus Ferrari, this series has a screening movie clips while we laugh and learn together. It's our hope this message will help you discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Liquid Church Online. I'm Pastor Tim. So glad you're here for our summer series at the movies. You guys ready for the movies? Hey, it's no secret. I am a major movie buff. In fact, in college, I majored in English, but I actually had a minor in film studies and spent my senior year working in the screenwriting department of a Hollywood studio in California. So movies, popcorn, major passion for me. And as a pastor, I just kind of love how they communicate spiritual truth, but in a cinematic way. I, I think there is something about just seeing a well-told story kind of unfold before your eyes on the big screen that really brings it to life. And that's what this series is about. Uh, guys, for at the movies, what we're going to do is for four weeks, we're going to look at four blockbuster hits and then explore the biblical truths that are found in each film. Now, today's the kickoff with Hamilton, the Broadway hit and cultural phenomenon just came out on Disney+. Plus. Super powerful story about one of our founding fathers that has blown up on Broadway and it's chock full of so many rich gospel themes. But before we dive in, I want to give you a little preview of the movies we're going to explore in the weeks to come. Next week, we're going to watch clips from Ford versus Ferrari. It's an auto racing film based on the true story of the visionary car designer, Carol Shelby, played by Matt Damon and then Christian Bale's the driver. They battled to build this revolutionary race car for the Ford Motor Company to take on Enzo Ferrari at the 24 Hours of Le Mans in France in 1966. Now, here's the deal. Even if you ain't like a motorhead, this is a high-velocity bromance with some powerful lessons about teamwork and perseverance. In fact, we're going to be screening Ford versus Ferrari at our drive-in movie night this Friday and Saturday, August 15th and the 14th, both of them in Parsippany. So I want to invite your family. Come on out to our broadcast campus and watch it with me under the stars. We will be socially distanced in our cars, so come watch it on the big screen, and then I'll preach about the spiritual themes in it next weekend. The week after, we'll be looking at Knives Out. This is kind of a fun, modern, whodunit movie. It's following a master detective investigating the mysterious death at a family gathering gone awry. Some of you can relate. And then our last week, we'll look at a powerful legal drama called Just Mercy. It stars Michael B. Jordan as defense attorney Brian Stevenson, who in real life, he is a Christian, and his convictions about biblical justice and mercy inspired him to devote his life to help death row inmates who were wrongfully convicted. True story, very powerful. So just look at our lineup. We got a Broadway musical. We got sports racing, detective mystery, legal thriller. So I want to encourage you right now, go get some popcorn, people. Settle in as we bring scripture and the silver screen together. Because today, we kicking it off with my family's favorite musical, Hamilton. Any Hamilton fans out there? Come on, type it in the chat, make some noise. You're just like your country, young, scrappy, hungry. <laughs> Hamilton is a Broadway smash. It's actually written by New York's own Lin-Manuel Miranda. And it's about the life and times of Alexander Hamilton, one of the founding fathers of our country. And here's the amazing part. It's performed in hip hop. It opened on Broadway in summer 2015, quickly became a cultural obsession people paying thousands of dollars for tickets to the sold out shows, and the soundtrack just blew up. It rocketed up the billboard charts and was played in minivans across America because it is full of these incredibly hooky 
Broadway show tunes. Now in 2016, the musical won 11 Tony Awards, including Best Musical, and check this, the Pulitzer Prize for Drama. In fact, the popularity of the show even influenced the U.S. Treasury Department to reverse its decision to replace Hamilton on the $10 bill. So Hamilton mania is still sweeping our country. And for those of you who couldn't get to the Broadway show, Disney Plus just released a musical on its platform this summer. So let's sit back and watch the trailer, and then we'll explore the gospel themes in Hamilton. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. So I took my wife and daughter to see Hamilton last March on Broadway. Um, I had to take out a second mortgage uh, to afford the tickets, but it was my daughter's birthday. And so as we settled into our seats, I like wasn't sure what to expect. But can I tell you, the next two hours and 45 minutes were riveting. I mean, even if you don't like musicals, the creativity, the innovative storytelling, power-packed, man. Lin-Manuel Miranda, he's like our, our generation Shakespeare. He made this bold and risky choice to use rap and hip-hop to tell the story of Hamilton in modern street language. And it was like the perfect choice to tell this story about the American Revolution. It's, Hamilton is lyrically stunning. In fact, in one of my favorite songs, Hamilton raps about his dream of forming a strong central government, which is like kind of like a dry historical thing. But Miranda rhymes the words democracy and Socrates and rocks at these mediocrities. It's this like emotional experience. And I'm looking around the theater, people around me actually wept. I, and I was like, why has this story about a founding father struck such a chord in popular culture? Well, for starters, it hits on a number of very important social themes of our time, including immigration, gender equality, diversity. I mean, Hamilton himself was actually an immigrant from the Caribbean. Did you know that? Miranda called it the quintessential immigrant story of redefining yourself when you come to a new place. They intentionally chose actors of color to play the roles of the founding fathers. Thomas Jefferson actually raps and dances and it turns your expectations upside down in a wonderful way. Women play central roles. Alexander's wife, Eliza, she's no pushover. She's actually this very strong and intelligent woman who deeply impacted America's founding alongside her husband. But I think it's a lot more than just the powerful social issues that has captured our culture's imagination. See, there are deeply spiritual themes embedded like Easter eggs all throughout the story that hint at the divine presence of God in Hamilton's life. There are grand themes of the gospel like love and forgiveness, failure and grace, even despair and death, but ultimately redemption. See, Hamilton was a brilliant man, but he was also deeply broken and flawed, like all of us. 
But it's really the story. It shows how God can take a, a broken life and turn it into something beautiful. See, behind the hip hop and the history is a deeply spiritual story that begins with an act of sheer grace. This, this gift that enables Hamilton to travel to New York and create a new life for himself. In fact, I'd encourage you to read Ron Chernow's biography of Hamilton. This is actually the book that inspired Miranda to write the musical. See, Hamilton was born into abject poverty on this little island in the Caribbean. His father abandoned the family, and then his mother died when Alexander was only 12 years old. It left him an orphan on a tiny island, utter poverty. So how does a little boy who endured such hardship become one of the most influential founding fathers of America? Well, the musical starts with this very question. Check it out. How does a bastard, orphan, son of a whore and a Scotsman dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean by providence impoverished and squalor grow up to be a hero and a scholar? The $10 founded father without a father Got a lot farther by working a lot harder By being a lot smarter By being a self-starter By 14, they placed him in charge of a trading charter And every day while slaves were being slaughtered And carted away across the waves He struggled and kept his guard up Inside he was longing for something to be a part of The brother was ready to beg, steal, borrow, or barter Then a hurricane came and devastation reigned Our man saw his future drip, dripping down the drain Put a pencil to his temple, connected it to his brain And he wrote his first refrain, a testament to his pain Mother word got around, he said this kid is insane man Took up a collection just to send him to the mainland Get your education, don't forget from whence you came And the world's gonna know your name What's your name, man? Alexander Hamilton My name is Alexander Hamilton And there's a million things I haven't done But just you wait, just you wait Now that opening number, Just You Wait lays this foundation of grace that Hamilton's whole life was built upon. See, although his father left, his mother died orphaning Hamilton, in 1772, a massive hurricane hit the tiny island of St. Croix, where Hamilton lived. It actually caused widespread destruction. And so at 17 years old, he wrote a letter about the experience that was published in a local newspaper. I mean, teenage Hamilton, he saw the hurricane through spiritual lens. He actually believed it was divine retribution from God, and he called his fellow people to repentance and faithfulness. Check this out. He told the his fellow islanders, he said, despise thyself and adore thy God. Succor or comfort the miserable and lay up a treasure in heaven. He was a student of the scriptures, but here's the grace note. Some local businessmen, young, read, they read this, Hamilton's letter as a 17-year-old, and they saw this sparkling intellect an oratorical brilliance in this young man. So they actually raised money and they said, we see potential in you. And they sent Hamilton to America to get an education. As history would have it, he arrived right on the cusp of the American Revolution. See, a single act of grace, this gift out of nowhere, changed the trajectory of Hamilton's whole life. What is grace? Grace is the undeserved, loving favor 
and kindness of God. God sees us in our impoverished state, and when we least expect it and we don't deserve it, he gives us grace. God lavishes his love and his favor on our lives. Think about this. God plucked a poor orphan out of poverty off a tiny island and sent him to the big island of New York, where Hamilton studied at King's College for a few years. He actually caught the attention of George Washington, who invited Hamilton to join his staff first as a writer, but as Hamilton's gift with words became known, he was promoted to Washington's chief of staff for the entire Continental Army. And after they beat the British, Hamilton became America's first secretary of the treasury and helped shape our central government. Now catch this. Next to Washington, Hamilton became the second most powerful man in America. It's a miraculous story built on a foundation of grace. And you know what? What's true of Hamilton is true of you, isn't it? Of all of us. I mean, where would any of us be without the grace of God? Grace, the unmerited favor and love of God. It is the great distinctive of the Christian faith. Here's how the Bible describes it in Ephesians 2. The Apostle Paul writes these words. He says, God saved you by his what, church? Type in the chat, by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a what? A gift from God. And salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. For we, we're God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. See, some religions teach karma. You guys know what that is. What goes around, what comes around. But the gospel, the good news about Jesus, teaches grace. We get what we don't deserve. <laughs> the unconditional love and mercy of God that we don't deserve, didn't expect, and can never earn. The Bible says grace isn't based on works. It's just this sheer gift from God. That's what the word grace means. It's gift. It's this sacrifice of Jesus that makes us worthy in God's eyes. Hamilton, he struggled. He struggled his whole life with feeling worthy. In fact, as a child, he felt deep shame over his upbringing. He was born out of wedlock. He suffered the stigma of illegitimacy. And his enemies taunted him. They called him names like bastard, foreigner, immigrant, someone who's less than, unworthy of love and respect. And that feeling just unleashed this ferocious ambition in Hamilton. He wanted to prove himself worthy. In fact, in the musical's most famous song, he shares his determination to not throw away his shot. I am not throwing away my shot. I am not throwing away my shot. Hey, yo, I'm just like my country. I'm young, scrappy, and hungry, and I'm not throwing away my shot. I'm gonna get a scholarship to King's College. I probably shouldn't brag, but dad, I'm amazed and astonished. The problem is I got a lot of brains, but no polish. I got a holler just to be heard with every word. I drop knowledge. I'm a diamond in the rough. A shiny piece of coal trying to reach my goal. My power of speech, unimpeachable. Only 19, but my mind is over. These New York City streets get cold. I shoulder every burden, every disadvantage. I've learned to manage. I don't have a gun to brandish. I walk these streets famished. The plan is to fan this spark into a flame. But damn, it's getting dark, so let me spell out the name. I am the Essentially, essentially, 
tags us relentlessly And King George turns around, runs a spending spree He ain't ever gonna set his descendants free So there will be a revolution in this century Enter me, he says in parentheses Don't be shocked when your history book mentions me I will lay down my life if it sets us free Eventually you'll see my ascendancy And I am not throwing away my shot I am not throwing away my shot. Hey yo, I'm just like my country. I'm young, scrappy, and hungry, and I'm not throwing away my shot. I am not throwing away my shot. I am not throwing away my shot. Hey yo, I'm just like my country. I'm young, scrappy, and hungry, and I'm not throwing away my shot. Early on in America, Hamilton made a vow. What started out as a gift of sheer grace, he said, now I'm going to prove, and I'm going to earn it by my work. I'm not throwing away my shot. Hamilton had plans to overcome all of his insecurities and wounds and improve his worthiness through political power and performance. And here's the crazy thing. Hamilton succeeded on a level he could never have imagined. I mean, from an island orphan to second in command over the entire U.S. government. But how many of you know ambition and success can be a double-edged sword, right? because it tricks us into then thinking our, our value and our worth is, is tied to our performance, our achievement, rather than the love and grace of God. See, grace means there's nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Grace means that the infinite God already loves you as much as an infinite God possibly can love. So worthiness, it's just not based on your achievement. God's not opposed to effort, but if it was based on achievement, grace wouldn't be grace. Grace teaches us that God loves us because of who God is, not because of who we are and what we do. But as I read Chernell's biography and watched Hamilton, I, I just wondered like, how much of Hamilton's relentless drive was this attempt to somehow earn and pay back this gift of grace that brought him to America, to prove himself and the world, I am worthy. But here's what the Bible makes clear. Look at this. God saved you by his what? His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift of God. Now, the opposite of a gift that's just freely given is something that's demanded and taken by force. The opposite of love and grace, it's fear of punishment. And you know what? That's how a lot of people view God, right? Why obey God? Because, well, I read the Bible. He's a deity who demands it, right? And he'll strike me down. If you don't perform as he expects, God will punish you. No, 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 no. That view of God actually isn't biblical. It's actually more like King George. <laughs> you remember this guy? In Hamilton, King George is actually a comedic figure. He's very funny, but he's portrayed as this kind of angry, bitter, jealous king who is desperately trying to control the American colonies. And he sings this hilarious song called, You'll Be Back, <laughs> in which he professes his love for his subjects by threatening to kill them. You say the price of my love's not a price that you're willing to pay. You cry in your tea, which you hurl in the sea when you see me go by. Why so sad? Remember we made an arrangement when you went away Now you're making me mad Remember despite our estrangement I'm your man 
You'll be back soon, you'll see. You'll remember you belong to me. You'll be back, time will tell. You'll remember that I served you well. Oceans rise, empires fall. We have seen each other through it all. And when push comes to shove, I will send a fully armed battalion to remind you of my love. Da 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 I think you realize the king is mad. <laughs> In fact, one of my favorite lines is when King George sings, Cause when push comes to shove, I will kill your friends and family to remind you of my love. <laughs> it's like we all get the joke, right? You can't, you can't make someone love you by threatening them. It's impossible by definition. But that's what an insecure king or leader tries to do. Make people obey them. You will or else by force. But that's not true love when you use threats or intimidation to manipulate people. And that's one of the differences here. See, our king, King Jesus, is a God of grace. In fact, the father sent Jesus to demonstrate how far he'd go to show you his love is unconditional. It's not based on your performance or obedience. See, the God of the Bible doesn't demand obedience or else. He says, I want you to obey me out of love in return, in response to my grace. Look what 1 John 4, 19 says. It says, here's our motivation. We love because why, church? He first loved us. See, as Christians, we serve and love our King Jesus with open hearts, but it's in response to God's open heart towards us. I mean, we think about it. We look and say, if God was willing to sacrifice his own son, we serve a king who gives away his power and then dies for those who rebel against him. We have no reason to fear. We have all the reason in the world to trust him and actually love him back as sons and daughters now liberated from the threat of punishment or the need to perform. So here's the question. Why do we have such a hard time doing that? Like, I, I think the reason we struggle with accepting God's grace is because at the end of the day, guys, even me, we're just like all painfully aware of how far short we fall as human beings, right? We blow it all the time. I mean, the Bible says we fall short of God's expectations. I read that and I'm like, heck, I fall short of my own expectations every week. But I think part of the power of Hamilton is how human his character is portrayed. See, Hamilton wasn't simply a saint, right? We look at him, brilliant, passionate, brave. Hamilton was also a sinner with warts and flaws. In fact, Hamilton was brilliant, but he was also quite broken. Hamilton was notoriously arrogant. He alienated his peers. He got into these titanic feuds with Thomas Jefferson, Madison Adams, and of course, fatally and famously, Aaron Burr. But most tragically, Hamilton cheated on the love of his life, his beloved wife, Eliza. Historians note that Hamilton's marriage was actually a bottom-out moment in his life story. It goes back to 1791 in Philadelphia. An attractive young woman, not his wife, named Mariah Reynolds, knocked on Hamilton's front door and said, can I speak privately with you? And foolishly, Hamilton invited her inside. She was poor. She said she had an abusive husband. And when Hamilton offered to help, she invited him into her bed. And Hamilton, the brilliant, high-minded revolutionary, 
betrayed his marriage vows to Eliza and gave into temptation. He started an affair that would actually devastate his family and check it, this became the first government sex scandal in the history of our nation. I hadn't slept in a week, I was weak, I was awake. You've never seen a bastard orphan more in need of a break. Longing for Angelica, missing my wife. That's when Miss Mariah Reynolds walked into my life. She said, I know you are a man of honor. I'm so sorry to bother you at home, but I don't know where to go. And I came here all alone. She said, My husband's doing me wrong, beating me, cheating me, mistreating me. Suddenly he's up and gone. I don't have the means to go on. So I offered her a loan, I offered to walk her home. She said, You're too kind, sir. I gave her 30 bucks that I had socked away. She lived a block away. She said, This one's mine, sir. Then I said, Well, I should head back home. She turned red. She led me to a bed, let her legs spread, and said, Hey, hey, hey. That's when I began to pray, Lord, show me how to say no to this. I don't know how to say no to this. But my God, she looks so helpless. And her body's saying, Hell. Lord, show me how to say no to this. Guys, we all struggle with temptation, and kings and founding fathers are no exception. Uh, it reminds me of an Old Testament story about a brilliant king named David. He was known as a man after God's own heart, but in one moment, in one colossal lack of judgment, King David abused his power, betrayed his marriage, and committed adultery. 2 Samuel 11 tells a story. It says, one evening, David got up from his bed and walked on the roof of the palace. In other words, the, the seat of power, the government building. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, oh, she's Bathsheba. He, she's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Guys, David in the Old Testament betrayed his marriage vows, betrayed his own nation, and had an affair with a married woman. And the Bible actually says Bathsheba became pregnant. You should read the Bible sometime. It's, it's pretty saucy. As a king, David was very nervous his sin would be found out, so he actually called her husband Uriah home. But Uriah wouldn't sleep with his wife because all his fellow men were off fighting in the army, and so King David did something unimaginable. He actually instructed the commander of the army to put Uriah on the front line of the fighting and then take a step back so that Uriah would be killed and David's sin would be covered up. I mean, just like Hamilton, it is a painful low point in God's story of redemption. See, guys, you have to understand there is no such thing as a true saint, like a human being who is flawless. All of us, from Hamilton to King David, are sinners saved by grace. In fact, can I teach you a little Latin? There's a Latin phrase made famous by Martin Luther. It reads, simul justice et peccator, and it means simultaneously saint and sinner. 
The truth is, both realities coexist inside every human at the exact same time. Here's the truth about you. You are made in God's image, and you have a glorious capacity for love and courage and bravery and self-sacrifice. But here's a second truth. As sons and daughters of Adam, you have a limitless capacity for sin, failure, and self-deception. Maybe I'm just talking about myself. Guys, the Bible is full of saints who are also sinners, just like real life. In fact, Nelson Mandela, he once quipped this. He said, I am not a saint unless you think of a saint as a sinner who just keeps on trying. (laughs) Well, like King David, Hamilton actually tried to cover up his affair. It's a very human instinct when we do something wrong. He actually paid blackmail money to the husband of Mariah Reynolds so that he wouldn't be exposed. But eventually, Hamilton confessed his secret sin. He came clean in public. He wrote the Reynolds pamphlet, even though it ruined his reputation because confession is costly. And guys, it points us to our desperate need for God's grace and forgiveness. Forgiveness is one of the most powerful themes in Hamilton. It's emotional. I mean, for anybody who's been hurt or betrayed, you know forgiveness ain't easy. I want you to think for a minute of someone maybe who really hurt or betrayed you. The, this idea of like, God has forgiven me, so I'm going to let them off the hook? It ain't natural. You're right. It's supernatural. And for Eliza, his wife, forgiving her husband, it took the supernatural power of God. I mean, her husband humiliated her, brought shame on their family. History says that Eliza traveled to Albany, went to live with her parents, and give birth to their sixth child alone, while Hamilton stayed behind in New York. But guess what? God used that separation to humble Hamilton. Because for the first time, he found himself all alone, completely exposed without the woman he loved most in the world. Kevin Cloud has written a great book. It's called God and Hamilton. I can recommend it to you. He said this, Hamilton found himself in the exact same place we all end up far too many times in our lives in desperate need of forgiveness. We need forgiveness because of our flawed, broken, and imperfect nature as human beings. We want so badly to do the right thing, to live with integrity, to love people well. But we continue to come face to face with our inability to do so. We yell at our kids, tell half-truths, and say hurtful things about others. We give in to our addictions. We deceive ourselves, and we cheat on our spouse and play blackmail to keep it under wraps. All these wrongs leave us with this constant gnawing sense of regret, guilt, and shame for the hurt we cause and our failure to love. You know, in the story of King David, his feelings of guilt and shame turned him back to the God of grace. Psalm 51, I was reading this week, it's an amazing prayer that David wrote after he confessed his affair with Bathsheba. Like Hamilton, David must have been awash in regret, self-hatred when you do something like that and you blow up your world. But here's what David wrote in Psalm 51. Look at this. He wrote, generous in love, God, give what? Give me grace. Huge in mercy, wipe out my bad record, scrub away my guilt, soak out my sins in your laundry. I know how bad I've been. My sins are staring me down. But look what he says. David says, God, you're the one I violated. And you've seen it all, seen the full extent of my evil. You have all the facts before you, and whatever you decide about me is fair. I've been out of step with you for a long time in the wrong since I, before I was born. And what you're after is truth from the inside out, the power of confession. Now watch this. David prays, enter me, spirit. 
conceive a new true life in me. Soak me in your laundry and I'll come out clean. Scrub me and I'll have a snow white life. Tune me into foot tapping songs. Set these once broken bones to dancing. Don't look too close for blemishes. Give me a clean bill of health. Think about that. David is like, God, I have blown it. I have soiled myself, my family, my reputation. And I've done it against you. I've sinned against heaven. He says, God, if anybody can redeem that and give me a fresh start, you can. Give me a job teaching your rebels your ways, he says, so the lost can find their way home. He says, use me as an example. You know, Hamilton must have felt just like King David when he saw the damage he'd done. Guilt, regret, and maybe you're there. Maybe you've made some mistakes. Maybe you're like, I can relate. Maybe it's not the same, but you've made a disastrous choice that's hurt your relationship with God. And maybe somebody you loved very dearly, your family. But here's the truth, guys. When we confess, when we come clean with God like David does in Psalm 51, it opens the door to grace. See, with God, there is always forgiveness. Not because God has to, but because he wants to. He's a God of restoration. He says, I want to repair your relationship with me and others. And sometimes all we can see is the wreckage, you know, of our stupid choices. But God sees your future. He sees the person he can make you on the other side of grace. Not a lot of people know Hamilton was a Christian. He was a student of the scriptures and he believed that God could forgive him. But I imagine he probably wondered as he laid his head on his pillow at night, can my wife Eliza ever forgive me? How would she ever forgive my betrayal? Well, in act two of the musical, Eliza sings a song called Burn in which she actually burns her love letters from Hamilton. It is a symbol of her deep pain and struggle to forgive him. But historians note that Eliza Hamilton actually had a very strong walk with God. She was a woman of tremendous faith, and towards the end of Act 2, there's this, I would just call it a grace note, a moment of grace. It's one of the most emotional moments of the show. Hamilton and Eliza stand alone on stage together. They're estranged. You can see the distance. They've lost so much. They've lost their marriage. They lost their son, Philip, who died in a gun duel. And Eliza's expression is just blank. Her body is tense. And there's this big gulf between them. But then Hamilton hits bottom. He lets go of his pride and repents. He pleads with Eliza. He, just, he says, I recognize my words can't fix it anymore. Nothing can fix it. And he basically says, if you would just forgive me and let me stay and be with you, that would be enough. Like David, he commits to doing the hard work of repentance. And in the show, let me tell you, the show is, is, is frenetic. I mean, it's hip-hop music. It is this quiet, delicate moment in the show. And the chorus sings, they're trying to do the unimaginable. Forgiveness. Look at where we are. Look at where we started. I know I don't deserve you, Eliza. But hear me out, that would be enough If I could spare his life If I could trade his life for mine He'd be standing here right now And you would smile and that would be enough I don't pretend to know The challenges we're facing I know there's no replacing what we've lost And you need time But I'm not afraid I know who I married 
just let me stay here by your side. That would be enough. I'll admit it. I sat in that Broadway theater and I'm like, I don't really like musicals. I look at my wife and she's crying. And I'm like, why am I crying too? <laughs> I, had, I had tears rolling down my cheeks. I, I like lost it along with the rest of the audience. The whole theater is like sobbing. When Eliza takes his hand and sings, there's a grace too powerful to name. Forgiveness. They're doing the unimaginable. Guys, forgiveness goes against every natural instinct we have, and that's what makes grace so amazing. Eliza's forgiveness came from a supernatural source. It was freely given to her. And grace is at the heart of Hamilton and the heart of the gospel. Guys, it's almost too good to believe that in spite of our sin, all of our faults and failings, God can and will forgive us, and watch this, can even heal our relationships with those we've hurt. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 5.20. He says, but sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins, hands down. The question for you is simple. Can you receive the wonder of God's grace in your heart? Like, can you even begin to, like, grasp it and take it into your soul and then live it out? That grace isn't just amazing. It's amazing and available to you. No matter what you've done or where you've been, God loves you and sent his son Jesus to die for you. So you could actually have a second chance at a new life. I mean, Eliza forgave Hamilton. She found freedom, and so can you. I mean, forgiveness literally can set you free and create a new future for you. So can I get personal? Is there somebody in your life that you actually need to forgive? Can you actually receive the grace that God has shown you and then 
courageously offer it to them. Because that single act of grace leads to the greatest theme of all in Hamilton, redemption. In his older years, Hamilton struggled with despair and depression, even though his wife forgave him. See, after Washington stepped down from the presidency, Hamilton lost his position and his power, and he became a political outcast. He also lost his firstborn son to a deadly duel. And if you know history, spoiler alert, Hamilton tragically lost his own life at the age of 47 from a gunshot wound in a duel of honor with Aaron Burr, his lifelong political rival. Hamilton actually rode across the Hudson River to meet Burr for a duel in, of all places, Weehawken, New Jersey. <laughs> and ironically, he was actually killed in the same spot as his son. It's tragic. But according to historians, Hamilton actually shot his pistol into the air because he didn't want to injure Burr. But Burr shot Hamilton in the side. And on his deathbed, Hamilton said these words. He said, I have tender reliance on the mercy of the Almighty through the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I am a sinner, and I look to his mercy. Hamilton had a saving faith in Jesus Christ, and on his deathbed, Eliza was heartbroken. But Hamilton assured her, I'll see you again in heaven with our son. Hamilton is a story of love and forgiveness and beauty and brokenness, all blended together. It's a story very much like America. But ultimately, it's a story of redemption. In fact, after Hamilton dies, Eliza takes the brokenness from his life and turns it into something beautiful. See, the greatest source of pain, I told you, was Hamilton's childhood growing up as an orphan. He felt alone, unwanted. He didn't have a family to love him. When Eliza was finished grieving and mourning and began healing from her husband's death, she took up a new calling to redeem his memory. She actually partnered with a group of women and started, check this, the first private orphanage ever in New York City. See, because Hamilton had suffered as an orphan his entire life, his widow Eliza committed her life to help children facing the same struggle. I mean, it's the 1800s. Orphans were prone to living on the streets, joining gangs, fighting just a daily battle to survive. And for 27 years after her husband died, Eliza worked tirelessly to build that orphanage providing abandoned kids a hope and future in Hamilton's memory. She actually raised money. She was a girl boss. She leased property. She solicited donations of coal, shoes, Bibles. And she committed, I will never turn a child away, whether or not they got a nickel to their name. You know why she did it? She believed her God of grace gave her this calling. She wrote these words. She said, my maker has pointed out this duty to me and has given me the ability and inclination to perform it. In the closing song of the musical, Eliza sings about how she tried to honor her husband's legacy and turn Hamilton's brokenness into something beautiful. Eliza, I put myself back in the narrative. I stop wasting time on tears. I live another 50 years. It's not enough. Eliza. I interview every soldier who fought by your side. I try to make sense of your thousands of pages of writings. You really do write like you're running out of time. I rely on Angelica. While she's alive, we tell your story. She's buried in Trinity Church near you. When I needed her most, she was right on time. And I'm still not through. I ask 
myself, what would you do if you had more time? The Lord in his kindness, he gives me what you always wanted. He gives me more time. I raise funds in D.C. for the Washington Monument. Tells my story. I speak out against slavery. You could have done so much more if you only had time. And when my time is up, have I done enough? Will they tell or That last gasp, it's this heart-stopping moment in Broadway history. Eliza looks to heaven. D does she see Hamilton? D does she see God? Does she see that his story was finally told to audiences now around the world? Lin-Manuel Miranda says he'll never tell. <laughs> it's open to interpretation. But some say Eliza gasped because she sees that in eternity, her love for God and her husband resulted in saving the lives of thousands of orphan children across New York City. You know the coolest part? The orphanage Eliza pioneered 200 years ago continues to this day. It's now called Graham Wyndham, and it works tirelessly on behalf of poor children and families in New York City, 95% of who live at or below the poverty line. So when Eliza sings that she sees Hamilton in the eyes of every orphan who's loved and placed in a forever family. Guys, that's called redemption. <laughs> that's God turning brokenness into something beautiful, amen? And that's a picture of what God has done for you by sending Jesus. He has redeemed the broken parts of your story and he'll turn it into something beautiful by his grace. God forgives your failures. He redeems you with his love. And he calls you to love others with that same radical grace of Jesus Christ. And guys, I think that is the secret to why Hamilton has inspired audiences around the world. In the end, it tells a powerful story of spiritual redemption. And when we hear God's beautiful grace note, man, I don't know about you, but my soul wants to sing along with it, amen? So let's just take a moment and thank our amazing God 
for his amazing grace. Pray with me. Come on, church. Father, thank you for this story. Jesus, you told parables because you knew that stories were a way to get into the back door of our heart. And Lord, there's a reason we're gripped by Hamilton's story because we see in it our own beauty and our own brokenness, our ambitions and our failures. And so we bring them to you because you're a God of grace. Lord, thank you for amazing grace that when we come to you in full confession of our sins and who we are, you not only forgive us, but you've promised to redeem us because of the sacrifice of your son. And so we come to you now, Jesus, for cleansing. In fact, as I'm praying, maybe you're watching or online or listening on podcasts, I want to invite you to pray a prayer of salvation. Just say, God, thank you for loving me. Just say that in your heart. God, thank you for loving me. I'm sorry for the broken parts of my life. Forgive me for my sins. I receive your grace. Come into my life. Redeem it. I want to follow you as best I know how. Help me to forgive others as I've been forgiven. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, praise God, you have been adopted into his forever family. And we thank God for you. We love you guys. I look forward to seeing you next week as we look at the spiritual truths behind Ford versus Ferrari. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with a friend. Thanks again for listening.